0: so in terms of those that was here it would be helpful for me to understand a little bit just about who my audience is so, who here are currently medical providers of some kind? Three, And who are like body workers of some kind? And the rest of us are everything else, right? So presumably we're here because we have some, it's the word, illness is too strong, some dis-ease that we're dissatisfied with how we've been able to manage it so far, is that a okay assumption, or we have there's someone in our world who has some disease that we've been unable to see them get the care that we had hoped they'd got, so either of those two situations is fine. Um, yeah, okay. so my own background is. I spent my professional career as a physician assistant in primary care medicine but also was trained in acupuncture, so it became my main therapeutic tool after about the first ten or fifteen years of prescribing medication and it not I mean it did what it was supposed to do, but it for me it wasn't enough. What medication did for people wasn't enough. And I kept asking, you know, in my mind, what why not? You know, what's missing? What's wrong? Why do some people get better, and why do some people not? And why do those that get better just get sick again later? You know, it's like, I want something that will really help them. I mean, I, for the first probably 10 years, I didn't believe there was any other way, that it was just true that you got sick and died, and you just used your medical care to make that as Palatable as possible, Um, but then something happened to me that showed me that that wasn't true, and and I had to then find an answer, you know. And it, I studied homeopathy, I studied, I learned about hypnotherapy and self-suggestion, although I didn't ever practice that. Mainly acupuncture is what seemed to fit the. Picture for being able to address people's dis ease in this sense of helping to restore balance. But even that, you know, it worked for some people. It didn't work for others. It didn't work for me. You know, I had my own physical distress. And it's like, why? People said I was a good acupuncturist. It's like, so why does it work for them and it doesn't work for me? It's it's just like, It just didn't fit. And so before every patient, I would just say a little prayer in my mind, you know, may this treatment benefit this person for their highest and their best, and may I know exactly what they need. You know, may I help them in exactly the way they needed. And I had, like, this preconceived notion of how that would play itself out. And what I didn't realize is that it would put me out of business (laughs) because the opportunity that came was, my spiritual teacher and the opportunity to help him build his center for teaching the higher teachings. And so in order to facilitate that, I, it was two hours from where my practice was and I just couldn't stay in practice and do that at the same time and it was like, do that. You know, It was the higher way, the higher calling for me. To leave my patients that I love so dearly and go isolate myself in this godforsaken place, Diamond <laughs> Mountain. That is really beautiful, but it's like hard to live there. Um, and it was worth every second. And it was through those teachings—the teachings of you know my lamas Geshe Michael and Lama Christie and the teachings of Tibetan Buddhism, this pure lineage that's come down to us from the Buddha himself, that shared with me the that, that answers to my questions about where healing comes from. Now our teachings weren't in those words, right? They were about where does suffering come from. But it doesn't matter what suffering you apply those teachings to, whether it's stubbing your toe to dying, the principles work. the principles won't fail us. We may fail the principles, but the the principles, when we understand them, can be applied, and the better we apply them, the mm, more obvious becomes the results of what we've done. So for years and years, what I heard those teachings saying to me was... This is the process of making mental seeds and waiting for them to ripen, and it takes a really long time from the ones you plant, from when you planted them, to when they ripen. And in fact, it takes so long that you probably won't recognize that this behavior caused that result. But that it's still true, we just can't tell. Then, you know, my llama was saying, no, you know, what's happening to you right now is because of something you did last week." And my mind would go, no way. You know, it was lifetimes ago, because I didn't do that last week. And so my mind rejected, rejected, rejected. And then I got into three retreat, where there's nothing else to do but sit with your mind. And it became very, very eminently clear that in fact we can hmm. we can plant seeds and get their results in a recognizable time frame. We can recognize what seeds we must have in our heart because of what we're seeing in our world and then do something to either weed them out or get them to ripen, depending on what, whether they're positive ones or negative ones. And, and some things happened for me in retreat that I experienced that directly. It didn't happen until the end of retreat, right? But it was like this culmination in the last six months that just truly like sp- split my belief system again. And uh, that's what I want to share, is that process but turned specifically towards this thing healing and health and how to plant those seeds and how to cultivate them and how to get them to ripen in a recognizable time frame okay So tonight's class we have we have to cover the overall principle. And that overall principle, my Lama has boiled down, you know, 25 years of study in the monastery to a thing he calls the four by four. Right? 16 things we need to know about how our reality is created and functions. So we need to go through all those 16 things tonight. Right? And uh, we're not going to go into detail of them, but I, I'm hoping it'll be like you'll see the bigger picture and then we go back and then the next six weeks we go through the details of them. All right, so uh, I don't really want to take the time to write them on the board. Do you write yeah, just a minute, maybe. Yeah. So before we start, however, there are certain assumptions that I need to throw out to you that I want you to think about. I mean, very likely you'll like, agree right away, but think about them through the course of the week as well. So the first assumption is that everybody wants to be happy. And that that desire for happiness drives every thing we do, every decision we make, every thought we even have is pushed by this deep, sometimes subtle, sometimes not so subtle, wish to be happy. Even when somebody's doing something that looks ugly, they're thinking it's going to bring them happiness. Mm -hmm. They're just mistaken. right? We're mistaken. We're actually mistaken most of the time in what we think will bring us happiness. But regardless of that mistake, we're driven by this wish. really it's a need more than a wish to be happy mm-hmm. the second assumption is that we must not know how to make it or else we'd be making it wouldn't we and even if we say "Oh, I'm a pretty happy person if we knew how to make happiness why would we make anything else for ourselves but happiness In which case there would never be a moment that you would be saying, I'm not happy right now. Right? So just logically speaking, we must not know how to do it. And then third assumption, this one's probably the most important, is that every existing thing, every existing event, must have a cause. Nothing comes from nothing. any experience we have, whether it's something we hear, smell, see, hear, smell, taste, touch, feel emotionally, or think, is a result. And every result, result has to have a cause. And the cause has to become come before, and there's a bunch of stuff we'll talk about. but those three assumptions, that everybody wants to be happy, that we must not know how to do it or we would be doing it and we would be happy and everything has a cause. If you rattle those around, you'll come to a conclusion which is, so happiness must be the result of the causes for happiness. And if we make the causes for happiness, we will experience the result. Happiness. It's so simple, our minds go, yeah, right? But it's, it's like so simple. The problem is we don't know how to do it, or we would. But we can know, we can learn, we can do it, right? We can, we can change our habits. So if that's true for happiness, it can also be true for treating our illness, right? I mean, that's happiness is way out here, and feeling good physically, mentally, emotionally, you know, <laughs> treating our whatever we have, treating our parents' whatever they have, that's way down here. I mean, it should be way easier to do that than it is to be happy. And I, don't, I, don't, I won't argue that at this point. The process is the same. So if we can learn the process, we can apply it to the best of our abilities, right? We, well, I am not perfect at it. Um, but the more I do it, the stronger the feedback I get that, hey, this works, the, the more I want to do it, the easier it becomes. Because of this thing, mental seeds, that I think most of you already know about, but we're going to pretend you don't, right? Pretend you don't, because then you hear it again and you'll hear it a little differently. Whereas if we go, yeah, I know, yeah, I know, yeah, I know, it's like your mind slams shut and you'll miss something that was coming through differently enough, right, that maybe is just that little hint of a secret that you need to, like, set your practice on fire. Yeah. Okay. Hmm. So, Someone can sit up here and tell you, this is what you do to get these results. And you know, we've all had that done, haven't we? (laughs) Yeah. Someone is being really honest back there and laughing, (laughs) because we all did it as teens, right? Parents said, you know, don't do this, yeah, yeah, mom, and you go and do it anyway, or you do something equally crazy. We have to somehow prove it to ourselves before we can agree to change some behavior that we think we ought to do. Mm. It helps a little bit to hear why to do the behavior. And so that's what this, this series of classes is about, is to learn why to do the behaviors that I'm going to be telling you to do, right? I'm not really telling. I'm going to be suggesting. And together we're going to actually be figuring it all out. Um, because this is going to be a new way of thinking about how to create the causes for healing. It's, it's not about, you know, go to the doctor, have your insurance, go to the doctor, buy your pills. Mm-hmm. It's about how to make sure that when you do go to the doctor, get your pills, they work. And if we can do that, we can maybe make not even having to go to the doctor at all, right? Maybe our vitamin C will work, right? Maybe. Right. My llama gets a migraine sometimes, and he says he can stop them with chocolate chip cookies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I personally have had the experience of stubbing a migraine with french fries, but it doesn't work all the time, right? <laughs> so it's not the actual cause, it's just the apparent cause, and we're going to talk about that kind of stuff. OK, so we started out with these three assumptions and the conclusion, and I, I'm going to say, cook it but I'm going to assume that you agree with me right now, because if not, I can't go on, right? So I'm assuming then that you agree with me um, that everybody wants to be happy and that drives all of our decisions, our interactions, that we must not know how to make happiness or we'd be happy all the time already and that everything has a cause. And that the conclusion then would be if we can figure out the causes for whatever the result we want and plant them, make them, do those causes, then the result will have to come, you know, parentheses, sooner or later. And part of the process is going to be to push that to sooner. Right? And that's what I've proven to myself can be done, right? and others have as well. So, so once you understand how and why it works, and it's just totally up to you whether you want to try it on for size okay? yeah. it, maybe you will now maybe you will later doesn't matter so much um, because the seeds will be planted in your mind right and eventually they will <laughs> they'll do their thing yeah hopefully sooner than later okay so what we're talking about is learning how to create causes as opposed to reacting to results. Like That's like the <coughs> basic, if you had to say, you know, what is this class about in one phrase. Our, our habitual behavior is that we experience something which is a result of some cause. We react to it in some habitual way and that reacting to that situation is planting seeds in our minds for a similar situation, actually more than one, to come back to us again. So the classic example is the yelling boss. No, we're in a situation where somebody's angry with us and they're yelling at us, and regardless of whether we deserve it or not, right, our natural reaction is to get angry and defensive and we, you know, up that thing surges, whatever it is, and before we even have out comes something unpleasant, generally. So this video camera is recording that whole event. We think when they talk about the, our mind doing the video recorder thing, I for years I thought, oh, my video recorder is going this way. And it never like quite made sense until finally it's like one day in retreat years ago, it was like, no, no. The video cam is like this. And it Somehow it can record my thoughts as well as, you know, my everything else. But it's like, it's recording what what I think, do, and say towards others, right? This didn't make sense, but now it's like, oh, and it misses nothing. <laughs> nothing, and it never skips a frame, it never loses any of the data, right? It's constantly recording what we think, do, and say towards something that we perceive as other, mm. right? Usually an other person, but it's true for other cup or tree or bug or, you know, anything that we perceive as other, which is kind of a clue about how the whole system shifts as you get closer and closer to your Buddhahood, to your total enlightenment, because your perception of other is starting to get... A little fuzzy. Oh. Yeah. So, but that's not on this class. So this video recorder is recording everything, and then it's also playing everything. Okay, so somehow it both records and plays at the same time, but what is re- being recorded drifts around in there for a while, and then it shows the picture. So the picture is this, me and my world, and the recorder is still recording. You following me? So, mm, most of us are in constant react mode because the picture is being shown to us. We have no recall of having made that recording, been the actor in the play that created the whole scene, and we automatically react back in a similar way to the way it was recorded. We'll talk more about it. Um, And that plant seeds for more of it. And then up comes another angry person and up comes our anger and that plant seeds for more of it and we just go through this constant spiral of anger begetting anger, begetting anger, begetting anger. And it works the same way for kindness. It works the same way for uh, helpfulness. It, as we as we are having the experience of something being kind, we're thankful and grateful and you know more likely to be kind to somebody else because someone's been kind to me. And that also cycles the cycle of more and more kindness. So it works both ways. And our tendency is to always look at the negative and uh, we're going to try and be looking more and more at the positive because that's what we're trying to change in ourselves. Uh, so, mm. hmm. So this habit of reacting to results is what we're wanting to recognize that we're doing and then be able to make a shift in our perception to instead train ourselves in how to react to create. It's curious about those two words, they're the same letters, just rearranged, you know? It's like, those are all, like, clues. It's not coincidental. So we're learning to create causes instead of reacting to results. From the kindness side, it may very well be the same thing you've already done, been doing, only now your perception about why you're doing it and the result it's going to bring you is going to be different. Right? I mean, we're all, all kind of people here. And we have mostly nice, happy lives, I would guess. But there's something unsatisfactory or you wouldn't be here. Yeah. So hmm. so there must be some way that we're doing our kindnesses in a way that's just not quite powerful enough to be able to see that this, this result has come from that cause. It's actually a little easier with the negative ones. Oh yeah, you know, that angry person I do, I get mad at my dog, you know? So it's no surprise that this person gets mad at me. Okay, so this thing called the four by four is the explanation for uh, how and why we can change our behaviors in a conscious way to shift, to create mode from react mode, okay? Hmm. If we needed, wanted to boil the 4 by 4 down, then it would come down to we reap what we sow. And I would suspect that there's not an adult in the world that hasn't heard that axiom in some way, shape, or form, you know, whatever language, whatever cultural thing, you know, I, I think that everybody hears that somewhere along the line. And I know what I did, you know, even as a little kid, and as a teen, you know, it's like, okay, what, what I do comes back to me. Mm-hmm. I didn't, like, investigate it or really try to work it out, but it's like, it, it didn't really seem to hold water to me. Because I thought I was a pretty nice person, and some rotten things happened to me, and it's like I don't know that I trust this. You reap what you sow. I'm still going to basically be a nice person because that was my, like, overall personality type was to not upset people, just because I was so shy and I didn't want to upset anybody. But it wasn't out of any kind of wisdom, and. uh, It certainly wasn't out of a really deep understanding of we reap what we sow. Mm. But we can break that down into these details of the 16, the 4x4, so that we can look to see whether or not we feel it's true. And, and if we do, then, then we can have the power to change our behavior based on that, right? to, to tweak our behavior. Right? We're not going to be doing any great big habit changes necessarily. So there are four things we need to know about this, we reap what we sow. And then there are four ways that it reveals itself to us and then there are two methods of four ways each, or four steps, where, where we can intentionally work with that. that. And that makes the 16. And it sounds like, you know, 16 by 16, whatever that factorial is. That's a lot of combinations, but it's, it's really not complicated at all. <clears throat> So the the four so the four by four is called the four laws, the four flowers, the four steps, and the four powers. Isn't that nice? It's poetic. <laughs> so you probably have memorized that already. The four laws, the four flowers, the four steps, the four powers. Right? You got it. Um, the four laws are in, in, the, in the traditional teachings is called the four laws of karma, but we're not even going to use that word. We're going to use mental seeds right? just to broaden our thoughts about it. So the four laws of we reap what we sow, the first one is we reap what we sow. The second one is, we are reaping what we have sown. The third one is, we can't reap what we haven't sown. And the fourth one is, we will reap what we have sown, what we are sowing, right? So, the first one, we reap what we sow. The scriptures say that law means that these mental seeds are definite But by definite, what that means is that a a seed planted in our mind that uh, appeared to bring some pleasantness to someone, or was intended to bring some pleasantness to someone, that it influences our mind in such a way that when it ripens, it will ripen as a pleasant experience. So kindness seeds will bring pleasant results. And unkindness seeds Will bring unpleasant results, and there's no other way that it can happen. So, the second one is it grows, seeds grow. We are reaping what we have sown. So, this video count, there are Beings who have been able to reach a state in deep meditation where they perceive directly this planting of seeds and ripening of seeds, and somebody counted them. You know, and they said there are 65. 65 mental seeds per instant, not even per second. An instant is shorter than a second, and they have it defined, and I don't remember what it is, but... Um, The video camera is taking in 65 of these mental seeds per instant, recording them, and it's playing 65 per instant, and in between the time that these 65 per instant are imprinted and the time they come out, they're not just static, they're being influenced by all the others that go in, they're growing and they're multiplying. So when they come back out, they come back out as multiple similar events and bigger similar events. So we'll talk about it more specifically, but the seeds grow, these mental seeds grow. Negative ones grow into bigger unpleasantnesses. Positive ones, little positive ones, grow into big positive ones, big pleasantnesses, And I think you can start to see see where our power lies. So the third one is uh, nothing comes from nothing, so we can't reap results from seeds we don't have. Duh. But we don't act like that, right? When something unpleasant happens to us, do we go, "Oh, I'm really sorry I did that to somebody. (laughs) No, you know, we don't. We go, I don't deserve that. Right? I don't deserve the traffic jam. I didn't deserve not being able to find a parking spot. Right? I don't. I don't. It's, just, it's so ubiquitous, we don't even notice it until you have a chance to run look at your mind with no interference for a long time. Yeah. And then it's like, <laughs> so uh, nothing comes from nothing. And then finally, results don't just disappear. Seeds don't just disappear. So whatever we've put in there, kind or not so kind, are in there. And they're going to come out and the longer they take to come out, the bigger they're going to be. (laughs) (laughs) Yee! We will reap what we are sowing. There's a caveat, and that is that there's a method for once you recognize that you've got seeds that you don't want to ripen inside your whatever this thing is. That's me. Um, there's something that you can do to damage those seeds. You can get them to either ripen sooner, so they're not so bad as uh, they would have been if you let them in there all you know until their natural whatever natural ripening. Or you could even damage them so strongly that they won't ripen at all. You don't technically get rid of them completely until a certain level of your spiritual progress, but at least they'll stop ripening. right? So um, that's a pretty potent thing to, to offer us that hope or that power, mm-hmm. right? To be able to weed those seeds out. We're not just cursed suffer forever (laughs) so I like to use a gardener analogy for this explanation of those four laws and uh, you know the the gardener clears her space she pulls out the weeds she digs up the earth she adds compost she decides what seeds she wants to buy she decides what results she wants right I want tomatoes carrots squash and daisies. So she prepares her soil, she gets her seeds, she puts them in the ground, she waters them, she pulls the weeds that come up around them, she protects them from marauders, and sooner or later, she gets tomatoes, carrots, but I say, squash and daisies. So if this gardener knows the four by four, she's going to eagerly share all of those crops with other people. Uh, Because she knows that that's the causes that she can plant for getting a nice crop next year. And if she gets a lousy crop this year, she's not going to say, oh, the weather was bad, or oh, the worms ate my crops. She's going to say, oh, I just ripened some stinginess karma when I didn't share something with somebody that I could have, that I had the opportunity to do. And that's coming back now as my tomatoes, you know, not ripening on ripening, right? It happens in Tucson a lot. And and she's still going to share what crop she did get, or maybe she's going to work harder to share something else that she has, knowing that that's how she creates her future, crop being abundant she understands about this process of what she sees herself thinking, doing, and saying towards others is going to create the circumstances of her future. Hmm. Okay, but our minds, my mind says, wait a minute, what if she's never gardened before? <coughs> so she never gave crops away. So how is she going to get any result at all? She'll put all her seeds in her garden and nothing will grow. What's wrong with that logic? Five yeah, yeah, I mean even the very fact that she wants to garden means she has seeds for gardening so she must have gardened before, that's one of them. Mm-hmm. No, another is that although prosperity seeds come from generosity, other kinds of generosity could ripen as her garden's prosperity, mm-hmm. right? So although our our examples are often you give watermelons you'll get watermelons, it is it, the the way karma actually works or these mental seeds actually work isn't so specifically tit for tat right. The the pleasantness brings pleasantness the unkindness brings uh, unpleasantness is definite that never changes. But whether and If you plant tomato seeds, you're going to get tomatoes. There's nothing you can do to plant tumbleweed seeds that will bring you tomatoes, right? But whether you plant a few tumbleweed seeds and get lots of them, which seems to be the case, or a few tomato seeds and get lots of them, or a few tomato seeds and hardly get any, will be the ripening of... um, generous you've been with other things as well. Mm-hmm. Okay, So we use the specifics to be able to uh, create our mm, actions specifically, but when we start learning how to recognize the results, the ripening results of our previous deeds that we remember and trying to see this connection, you, we'll see pretty quickly that if we're thinking, if I give apples, I'm going to get apples, we'll be limiting what we're able to recognize is happening, right? If I give, things will come to me. So, so then, your ability to create the future that you want becomes really pretty limitless because you don't have to give exactly the same thing that you're wanting to receive, right? If you want to give Buddhahood, if you want to become a Buddha, you'd have to give Buddhahood to somebody, right? And it's like, I think I would be stuck if that were the case. But it's not, right? We, we can give, we can coax our mental seeds to grow bigger and bigger. And so that they can create a result that's wildly vaster than the deed that we did to plant it, to create the cause. Does that make sense? So our, our mind though has, it still thinks about our experience, and it says, okay, you know, say I buy this thing about mental seeds. But still, in my world, I see cruel people who are healthy. I see kind people who are very sick, you know, who suffer. I see wealthy people that are stingy as heck. And I see poor people that are so giving. So it's like, what's wrong with this picture? It doesn't seem like it's consistent with what the law is saying. The problem is this delay. So we need to investigate this idea of mental seeds just so that we can see it, we can experience it ourselves. So I know you've all heard this, but pretend you haven't, okay? (laughs) So we're trying to investigate this idea of we reap what we sow, we Are reaping what we have sown. We can't reap what we haven't sown and we will are reaping I said that already. Which one did I miss? We will reap what we are sowing. We can't reap that's the second one. Help me. We are reaping what we have sown. We can't reap what we haven't sown and we will reap what we are sowing. Okay, so we're dealing with past and futures. Okay, so we're investigating that. Right? Why is that true and why is it so important? And so the way we do that is this. Right? No trick. What is this thing? Pen. It's a pen, right? It looks like a pen. Mm. It works like a pen. Well, actually, this one doesn't. Ha, ha, ha. This one does. Okay. Uh, a pen. But if a dog came in here, what would they do with it? They'd sniff it. They'd take it in their mouth they chew on it, wouldn't they? Mm-hmm. So, what's the dog seeing? Chew- a chew toy. <laughs> what's the people seeing? Pen. A pen. So, now if I put it here on the table, all the dogs go out, all the people go out. Now, what is it? Neither. On the table, a pen? <laughs> yeah, on. You can't say, it, can you? It's neither. It's neither. But has it disappeared? No. Mm. Yeah. So you just can't say. I mean, I like the answer that goes, mm-hmm. I like this universal I don't know. I think every culture knows this, don't they? So, but then the dog comes back in and it's Shoe again. And the people come back in and it's Pen again. So what does that say about the identity of this object? in mm-hmm. relationship. To? To. To observer the perceiver, right? But we don't think of it that way, do we? We don't see it that way. We see, we look at this thing and we, we think, I mean, not consciously, but subconsciously, that the pen is coming from it. Like pen, 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 pen. And then we pick it up and we use it as a pen. But if that were true, if the pen were coming from it, independent of our mind perceiving it, then wouldn't the dog also have to perceive it as a pen? Because it's coming from it. So the dog could chew on a pen, but then you ought to be able to teach that dog how to write with the pen, because that's what you do with pens. So its writingness also comes from it, independent from the mind of the being who's perceiving it. So the dog would write with it, not chew on it. But that doesn't happen. Not that it couldn't, but it doesn't. In our world, it doesn't. So it's like such a simple argument that we miss for eons as we're interacting with our world and we're expecting a certain result from something that we do and we get a different result. But we still think that what we did in the moment cause the result in the next moment. And that's not possible. For the same reason that this it's not possible that this pen's nature is in it. It depends completely upon your mind putting pen on it. The dog's mind putting chew toy on it The fly's mind putting landing pad on it. So, it's kind of it. it, It's not so hard to get that with the pen, right? This this idea in Buddhism is called the emptiness of the pen. The emptiness of an object is its lack of its identity coming from it, and that's all emptiness means. It it gets a it gets a lot of you know woo woo explanations. It in, through the process of trying to help our minds come to the, the highest explanation, which is this one, which is actually the simplest of all of them. Um, but it'll rock your world if you really get it. Right? If you really get the thing about the pen and then you walk out and do it with your car, it, for an instant it's sort of paralyzing. But then you realize that, no, in fact, because the pen is empty of being penned from its own side, it can be a pen. And if it wasn't empty of being penned from its own side, it couldn't be a pen, in which case we could wouldn't have anything to write with. And the same for your car. If it wasn't a ripening of your mental seeds, right, your karma, thank you, <laughs> that car wouldn't work for you, right, or it wouldn't even be a car. So thank goodness we all have karma. Car <laughs> right? Or we wouldn't be able to get around. So anyway, I'm getting ahead of myself. <clears throat> so why? Why do our minds put pen on this thing and a dog's mind puts chew toy on this thing? Where does that come from? It has to be a, co- a result, right? The fact that our mind puts pen on here has to be a result of some cause. So I've already explained the thing about the video recorder. So what must have been the cause that's ripening in our minds now to see pen here? Someone showed us this was a pen. That's a result also. What would be the cause? If what we think, say, and do towards others is what plants the seeds in our mind, which means those are the causes for things, we had to have seen ourselves give a pen to someone in order for us to see me hold this pen right now or else we couldn't see this as a pen. Well, where would the first pen come from? Let's not go there, <laughs> because that will take us the whole six classes to come to that conclusion, and I can't do it. Um, it took me years and years and years. I struggled with this, so you know, I couldn't get from the emptiness of the pen to the obviousness of the, what I, seeing myself give somebody a pen is why I have a pen to hold right now. It took me years, so you know, I hope you get it sometime in the next six weeks, if not in the next six seconds. But So watch this. My video recorder is going. Okay. Veneral Cotting says to me, May I borrow your pen? Or I need a pen. Or, you know, where's the pen? Please. <laughs> oh, Please. I see. It. Yeah. Uh, where's the pen? And I automatically hand her the pen, and my video recorder is watching me do that. So it's, what's happening is I'm seeing me with a pen, give it to someone who needs a pen. And that imprint is in there now, forever. And it's starting to grow. And so there will be a time when I go looking for a pen, whether or not there's somebody else there to hand it to me, I'll go looking for a pen and I will find one, right? as in the cup next to the telephone at the house that I'm staying. If, on the other hand, I have this pen, and venerable says, you know, can I borrow your pen? And I say no. Or I even, don't even say no, I just don't give it to her. There will come a time when I go looking for a pen, mm-hmm. and I won't be able to find one. And has that ever happened to anybody? Mm-hmm. So all of that that came before was the four laws. <laughs> Let's take a little break there. Maitri karunam, muditam, upeksham. Maitri karunam, muditam, upeksham.